Hello and welcome back to the Bar None podcast. Uh, welcome to episode two. I've got uh, Lockie and Mitch with me. Hey, boys. How are you going? Good, mate. How are you guys? Oh, fantastic today. Absolutely. Hey, if you haven't listened to episode one yet, definitely worth checking out. We definitely recommend uh, listening to the podcast in chronological order, but welcome to episode two if you have not yet. Uh, today we've got some really interesting topics. We've uh, obviously passed our first episode, had a bit of a chance to to chat through a few things, and today you know we've got some interesting stuff. But uh, I think uh, we want to kick it off with a few questions, and uh, so I'll throw it over to one of the guys. We sort of each have a question for each other, and we I think it's important we haven't heard these questions yet, have we? No, not at all. Uh, complete surprise. So my question for you guys is, and I'm sure we've all got a good one, best or most embarrassing moment in the gym? So when you kind of first started, what made you not not want to show your face in that gym ever again? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, the gym could be definitely a scary place. Have you got one off the top of your head? I do, I do, but I'm really keen to see no, you go. No, you go first. Yeah. All right, really keen. One of the most embarrassing ones of mine was I jumped into a, uh, a gym down in Brisbane and it was – Going off, uh, some sort of some sort of class was going off, and I thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity for me to mosey on past, get into my, my, my workout, and get out of there while it's in peak times. While I was over there, though, I decided I was going to try and show off and throw a couple of Velcro loaded boxes, uh, plyo boxes, on top of each other, and I put the the two smooth sides together, not the rough and the smooth side together. So I jumped up onto the um, onto the box, and the top box leapt forward and I went screaming back straight onto one of the persons who was doing the class and <laughs> everyone in the gym turned around and saw me ax myself and that still haunts me to this day. Jesus, mate. This yeah, that's pretty bad. Oh, embarrassing moments. I'm trying to think. I've had plenty, obviously, having been in the gym for quite a while. I've had probably no less than maybe five pairs of ripped pants. Like I remember it was probably... I think I've seen all three of those. Well, yeah, <laughs> five. Um... Just like maybe two months ago, actually, maybe a little bit longer, I was doing squats. And so I went down, went very low down, and then felt a bit of a tear. Came up, checked it, and I was like, oh, damn it, it's not too bad. So then I sort of I had my jumper with me. So it must have been back in winter when we were wearing jumpers. I had my jumper with me. So I tied that around my waist, just, you know, let the jumper hang down the back, make sure I'm not showing off too much. And then I went down into my next squat because I think I had about three or four sets left. And then just rip them like the entire way. So even the jumper didn't help after that. So that's definitely one of them. I don't know that I've got too many others. What about you, Locke? I just remember my first kind of year. I went in with a couple of boys and it was all about like, you know, just getting up into the big boy rack of the weights. So not those freestanding ones that got from 10 onto the big one. I was in there by myself thinking, yeah, it was prime time. It was nice and busy. I'm going to give it a crack today. I'm going up to the 12.5s. So I'm going to lie back onto the bench. I'm going to press them. So I've lied back, full gym everywhere, gone straight up and gone straight down onto my face. I remember <laughs> sitting there with them kind of stuck, one stuck on my face, one down to the side, having no idea. There's people all around me. Everyone's looking at me. No one's helped me. So I'm <laughs> stuck by myself. So I just kind of like eventually rolled it off, put those dumbbells away and did not come back to that room <laughs> the rest of that session. I head down in shame. So it took another couple of months before I decided to go back up into the uh, the big 12.5s. <laughs> nice. I think we've all been there, um, pinned under a bench press. You guys have been pinned oh, under God, a bench. Yeah. So many times. It's, probably, it's actually probably better if there's people around when you get stuck under a bench because one of the things you learn if you're benching on your own is to, number one, have safety rails on that bench, which not a lot of benches have. And uh, the other thing that you definitely learn is if you are going to mention your own, don't put colours on the bar. Oh, I was about to God, say no. the exact same thing. Yeah, because what tends to happen if you haven't had 
privilege of being stuck under the bar at home. It's uh, you get there, and if you've got collars on, the only way out is to try and wiggle it down your chest. And if you can lean one side and the weights fall off and then they dramatically dump off the other side, that tends to be the easiest way out of it. But uh, I like to think, honestly, if that ever happened to me and I had enough weight on there, I like to spontaneously turn it into a stripper pole where it goes into one side and I just jump into it and I just start (laughs) rolling with it. Just make the best out of the situation. Absolutely. I meant to do this, actually. Yeah, this (laughs) this is exactly what I was going for. But, yeah, if you've got collars on the bar, obviously, then you can't wiggle from side to side to try and get the plates off and it becomes very awkward half worm thing trying to get the bar roll it up try and sit up with it on your hips and then stand up with it so very very awkward now Mitch you've got a question for us I think I do if you had to choose between McDonald's Hungry Jack's KFC or Red Rooster (laughs) but which one would you choose to have to eat for the rest of your gym career but you have to pick a certain meal from one of those franchises is this every meal or is it every meal every meal is it once a day or just like you have to eat three times a day getting your daily uh, Ooh, total daily energy expenditure. Sustenance. That's a, that's a good question. I would choose Red Rooster, right, over all of them. McDonald's, Hungry Jacks, all that kind of stuff. Might have a bit of trouble because I think Red Rooster's a dying brand. I don't know if there's... Is there a lot of Red Roosters there, left? Yeah. I feel like it's probably going the way of the Sizzler, unfortunately. But um, Red Rooster, I'd choose that because their food is a little less... Overall, I would say processed. Like, it's a little less kind of plasticky, if that makes sense. Mm. And I think if you had to... You could probably try and survive off their menu. I don't know if I could pick one thing. Oh, okay. If I had to pick one thing, I'd try and pick, pick probably the, the thing that's got the most vegetables in it there, which I don't know. Whole chicken and chips and I think a pineapple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's your one serve of fruit now for the rest of your life. So the Family dinner pack, yeah, all the roast veggies and stuff. Yeah, I, I think Red Rooster's my, my pick. Yeah, I'd have to get Red Rooster because at least then you know the meat actually has meat in it. True. So you'll get your protein, you'll get that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. have to be Red Rooster. Yeah. I feel like like Red Rooster, Super Rooster, like that kind of, of place, even though the food's like a bit more calorie dense, there's a lot of calories in them, you can still kind of tell they've been cooked well. Like McDonald's, Hungry Jack's, what was the other option? A KFC. KFC. Uh, I mean, has anyone ever felt good after fit, God, eating no. KFC? I sweat KFC for three days afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's... It's more than just a financial cost, I feel like, <laughs> eating KFC. Like, you're going to pay for that somewhere. And uh, so I feel like Red Rooster is probably, even though it's not the best pick, you, you know, it's probably a little bit better than than the others. Better than the alternatives, for sure. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Now, I had a question for you guys. Um, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 50 duck-sized horses? What's your strategy and why? I feel like 50 duck-sized horses would be... It doesn't sound very scary, but I feel like they'd have some speed. So I feel like <laughs> you would not be able to get away from 50 duck-sized horses. But then, a horse-sized duck would also be terrifying. Ducks are scary enough as it is, but if they've got a beak bigger than your head... Yeah. You've been chased sure. by a duck? I, I walk a lot around like Queen's Park and the Mother's Memorial Park down next yeah. to it. And the ducks there always have ducklings. And if you get too close, they like run at you. You're um, I've seen a duck eat a fish. Oh, sorry, not a fish. I've seen a duck eat things before, and they just go head first down the gullet. There is no coming back. So I would rather go oh, the fifty, dude. the fifty um, horse-sized ducks, no, fifty duck-sized horses. And my strategy would be to charge full, just balls to the wall, Adam, and just to try and show my dominance. And if that didn't work, <laughs> I would just start swinging and kicking. Swinging and kicking. You're like, you've seen that video of that guy 
you know Juju Mufu is like oh, he, yeah. if you don't if you haven't seen his videos, look him up online. He's like an insane example of strength, power, mobility. Gymnast. Yeah, he's just this massive, massive guy. He must weigh like 110, 120 kilos. Boy, yeah. He's absolutely ripped to the bone and he just does some crazy stuff. But there's a video of him like running around, kicking all the flamingos off their spikes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that'd be a strategy, Mitch, for the yeah. the horses. My new training style. <laughs> absolutely. All right, let's get into a bit more serious stuff for today. Today um, is all about kind of what, why we do what we do. We talked a bit about what we do last week, but we wanted to, I suppose, have a bit of a deep dive into different training styles and how they suit different individuals, how we help our clients, the reasons we choose to train the way that we do, and hopefully some lessons, mistakes, failures, all the good stuff along the way as well. So no, I suppose I'll throw it over to you guys. Like, Why is it that, I mean, what's your training style? How does it work for you? What are some of the, the good parts of it? What are some of the, the downfalls? Because I feel like for us, you know, we, we train quite hard between us most of the time. And, uh, you know, I feel like sometimes you do some things for your sport that aren't always necessarily what the average gym goer is probably going to go through. We probably go to extremes at times and that can have costs as as well as it can have payoffs. So, yeah, I mean, why do you train the way that you train? Pardon me. Um, So, as everyone knows, I uh, particularly dabble in CrossFit or I would like to competitively dabble in CrossFit. Uh, The reason being, I've always um, thoroughly enjoyed the idea of being able to lift heavyweight around at a really good uh, consistent speed and then jump into pull-ups or any kind of gymnastics movements, uh, then, yeah, things that are going to be pure, hard-working, grit-type movements, um, that's always been something that, that appeals to me. So that's why I've always uh, really partaken to CrossFit. Um, I've only ever found out about CrossFit in the last five years, though. I know it's been out since, I think, about 2007, but I only really found out about it in 2015 when I was seeing a promo for the 2015 CrossFit Games. But ever since then, it's just something that I've just been so passionate about, something that I'll always want to uh, train for the rest of my life. The reason why, though, is because when I've been in CrossFit boxes, when I've been training my CrossFit sessions, I feel much more um, accomplished and I feel so much more challenged than I would than I was doing, um, you know, your, your, your generic 3 by 10 bodybuilding session. Um, that's not to take away, though, from competitive bodybuilding because I have um, done that kind of training before and I've got to tell you, I don't even know who I was trying to be, trying to keep up with some of the some of the dudes who were training that intensely and that's that beastly so yeah that crossfit style training compared to the other styles of training to me is what jumps out at me but when i try and incorporate that into my training styles with my clients i always try and think of it as what's going to get them better at life what's going to get them better at any kind of situation that might uh, expose it, expose itself to them so for example whenever i'm going to be doing hang cleans or a squat clean or a push press i think about things like picking up the groceries from the car i think about throwing your uh throwing your kid up in the air when you're having fun with them, um, anything like that. I think about what's going to be better for them in life, not just what's going to make them good in the gym, but good outside of the gym as well. Yeah, I like that. What do we think, though, is, you know, obviously that's a bit about how it makes you feel, but every training style has its advantages and has its drawbacks. What do you think are the inherent ones of training in, like, a functional fitness style or CrossFit style? I think um, keeping it functionally, uh, sorry, constantly varied keeps it fresh keeps it real, keeps uh, keeps it exciting. Um, you get to go into each session knowing that you're going to expect something different. You're going to definitely get a, uh, a new feel, going to be challenged in some new way. And I think that's probably what definitely speaks uh, to me and what jumps out at me a lot more as well. Yeah, I like it. 
And for you, those, you know, what's in a similar fashion? What's the way you train? So I train mostly weights-based stuff. I've dabbled a bit in powerlifting, but at the moment I'd really say more of the bodybuilding style of training. Um, and I do that. I just I did a lot of cross-country, that kind of stuff, when I was younger, and then decided that I hate doing it. So now I kind of took a step back and just slow things down, lift some heavier weights, try to put on some muscle. And I find that I enjoy the just the, the slow progress of that. But like Mitchie, well, the exact opposite of what Mitchie was saying about CrossFit is one of the downsides or one of the things that can kind of kind of get a bit old with it is how deliberate and how consistent it can be, the whole bodybuilding style thing. And that can mean every week I'm doing the same thing, exactly the same thing. Maybe I'm going two kilos heavier on something, but it's all very, very consistent, very, very deliberate, which if you're someone that likes doing different things, it can get a little bit old, get a little bit boring, get a little stale. So you really got to have that kind of, at least some kind of end goal to keep you consistent with it because otherwise it could be easier to fall off the wagon and just start, you know, not being consistent with it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, bodybuilding is like, I think that most bodybuilders just describe it as Groundhog Day. Like, you do the same thing day in, day out. Very, very consistent. You've obviously got to achieve your sets and your reps, and they've got to be done with the best quality that you can. But even with your nutrition, like, there's not much variation really, is there? Oh, God, no. It's yeah. all the same. It's all, uh, it's all the same kind of foods. It's just over and over again. Um, which for me, it's it's fine. I like routine, and that's why I think I've been able to stick to it for so long is because I like the consistency, but I have no issue eating the same food over and over and over again, whereas I could see, like, it's definitely not very appealing for most people. Yeah, definitely. For me, like, I've kind of, uh, I've had experience in most schools of training, and it's kind of funny because I suppose the more you think about it and the more training that you go through, the more you realise it's probably pretty similar to something like martial arts where there's a lot of different styles of training. Even though the, the end goal for us is to make sure that, you know, we're fit, fast, we're strong, capable, we're, you know, we're in good condition physically, the way that we go about doing that can be very, very different from style to style. And so I'd probably describe, you know, the way I train as a good mix. Um, at the moment, I'm, I'm very into, into my functional fitness and making sure I can move well. I've been doing uh, some stuff that, that has not made me feel very good in the past, like mobility-wise. I've had my own challenges with mobility too in terms of like just not being able to move as well as I would like to or as well as I think a human being should be able to at 26 years old. Like if you're going, I feel like it's, it's probably a little bit early in the piece to be struggling to get out of a chair sometimes. So, um, you know, functional fitness for me and particularly for us in the gym and what we focus on is is all about trying to make sure that we can move well. And that means, you know, I want to be able to, you know, I want to be able to throw a barbell around with, with a lot of weight on it, you know, but I also want to be able to pull that weight from the floor slowly if I need to be able to. Same as I want to be able to move fast, but I want to be able to run, jump, and climb as well too. And sort of one of the drawbacks of, of having your fitness constantly varied is you don't particularly get extremely good at one thing. You know, like if you ever look at Olympic weightlifters, as an example, they're brilliant at being Olympic weightlifters. But, you know, you sort of put them out on a running track and most of them, you know, probably the general rule, I'm sure there's obviously very good Olympic weightlifters who are good athletes in other areas. You take like Tia Toomey, obviously, having won gold at the uh, the Commonwealth Games and then obviously having won the CrossFit Games for the last three years. Mm, I think, yeah, three well years. And uh, looking like she's on track for a fourth as well. Uh, you know, there's obviously some carryover between those, but for me it's, it's all about moving well right it's all about making sure that 
not necessarily that training's easy. I love the challenge in the CrossFit style of workouts. I love how stupid it is sometimes, you know, like doing a workout yesterday where I had 100 pull-ups to do. And does it always make sense to do 100 pull-ups in a workout? Not really, but the thing that I really like about it is it's always going to challenge you, always going to have to get you out of your comfort zone a little bit and make sure that you, regardless of what's written down, regardless of what's programmed, it was on the whiteboard, it's got to get done. And that's really just a metaphor for, I think, a lot of what we go through in life. And I think it has great applications for everyone to most things. So That's what I was about to just um, jump in and say there as well. Um, with all kinds of training, bodybuilding, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, CrossFit, whatever it is, martial arts, you definitely um, pick up the experiences and pick up the sort of mindset and work ethic that when you're front, uh, faced with a workout or faced with a certain rep scheme or weights or whatever it is, you build up that um, that work ethic and that confidence that you're just going to get it done because, uh, like you're always saying, look, how we do one thing is how we do everything. And that's one thing that I always uh, constantly enjoy with watching just my, my, my co-workers and my friends training around me that that's, yeah, that's what they always, you know, implement into their training styles. That's a good point. I think another thing that kind of comes along with this training is as long as you're consistent, you're not always going to feel good. And I think it's another carryover like Mr. Wagner was talking about life you're going to be doing the same thing but you're not always going to feel like doing it the more that you do it the more you'll get better at just getting your shit uh, getting your shit together pushing through it and actually you know on the days where you really don't feel like getting out of bed you don't feel like working you're still there you're still going to do it and i think that that like wagner said has a huge carryover into life because if you can get good at doing that in the gym you're going to get good at doing it in work when you don't feel like going to work you're going to be able to push through all those things in life that you're not always wanting to do but over time you'll get better build up that skill like anything else yeah, exactly. And one of the things that stuck with me this week, similar to that, is um, I was listening to another podcast, and this guy is someone I've followed for a long time. His name's Alex Hormozzi. Uh, I think he has, his podcast is called The Game. And he talks about how experts never don't do the basics. So day in, day out, no matter how they feel, they show up, and whatever it is that they have to do, it just kind of has to get done, and the feeling almost becomes irrelevant. Some days you'll be excited for training. Some days you'll feel like absolute crap. It, but it's still kind of got to get done. Do you guys go through that? And, you know, obviously you've trained for a lot of years. Did it ever disappear for you in terms of is it just now you just walk in and it's all you know, sunshine and rainbows or is it still hard sometimes? It's still definitely a challenge. Um, sometimes I find I'll have weeks on end where I just don't feel like doing it. Um, I might feel a little tired. I might have a little injury. Just Sometimes it's just something. It could just be life. Something's going to kick me off just a little bit, but... I'll still make sure that I still turn up. And I think that's the biggest thing. I can have some of the worst workouts, but I'm still there. I'm still going to do the things that I need to do. And then I'm always going to feel better at the end. I'm never going to go in and be like, damn, I wish I didn't do that. I think a uh, good way to answer that question. Um, when I was living in Warwick, when I was uh, playing football, I was going to the gym consistently. I was training twice a, uh, twice a week football training, uh, as well as five times a week for you know fitness and strength and uh, powerlifting and all that sort of stuff. And then I was playing a game on Saturday or Sunday. I was doing that routine for three, uh, four years, sorry. I made tremendous efforts, uh, made tremendous progress, but I moved down to Brisbane in 2014. And when I moved down to Brisbane, it was a whole different lifestyle down there when I, where I got caught up in a massive party scene for three years. Being caught up in that massive party scene, you never go to the, you never go to the gym, you never train. I lost all that progress. So knowing where I was and then knowing how quickly it is to lose then coming back into the fitness lifestyle and how long it took me to get back to where I was or where I am now, I have a, a whole newfound respect for it. 
So even though there might be some days where I get out of bed and I'm like, I'm so sore, I've got, like David said, a little niggle or an injury, something that's really uh, playing on your emotions, I always have that little reminder of how, uh, how hard and how long I had to work to get to where I am now, that even if I am feeling a bit, bit off, I still will train. I'll still make sure that I put in, if not the best effort that I can. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting because, like, for me, it's I I would say I probably don't feel like training more than I do. Mm. Like I feel not not necessarily throughout the day, but like if you had to characterize it over seven days in a week, I'd probably say four of those days I have to make myself train. Three of those days I probably want to train. Maybe sometimes here and there, one of those days I definitely, definitely don't want to train. But what differentiates those three days? Um, I, after many years, obviously can realize now it's not so much your mindset and where you are, but it's what's caused you to feel that way. You know, there's a lot that goes into how you're feeling. As an example, if you've eaten a whole bunch of crappy foods across the weekend, you're just going to feel bloated. You're going to feel messy. You know, you're not going to want to show up and do a session. So. I sort of have put it down to not, it's not really about motivation anymore. I think a lot of people start that way in the gym. They're like, oh, I'm motivated now, so I'm going to make the most capitalized and do this. And if I don't feel motivated, then later I just kind of, I won't do it. But that for us, I feel like after you've trained for, for long enough, that passes and it just kind of changes to what habits do I have in place that make me feel good, bad or ugly right then and there. So Take this morning as an example. So I've got all day to train. I know I don't set a hard and fast schedule for myself. I can train whenever I need to, but I I know it's getting done. And if I leave that till eight PM tonight, guess what? Well, I still got to do it. It's not waiting till tomorrow. But uh, take something like this morning. You know, I was unprepared. Didn't bring my breakfast with me to work. I sort of got out of the house a little bit later than I would have wanted to, so I didn't get time to prepare that. Got to the gym. Uh, you know, do a couple of sessions for the morning do some work, and by the time, like, I'm feeling really, really flat. A couple of things that I do in terms of strategies, for just for my pro productivity and work, I was feeling really crappy and sort of a little bit dazed almost, so I went for a walk to the end of the street and back, which is about 800 metres, just to get a bit of airflow, get a bit of blood flowing, clear my head a little bit. Came back and worked a lot better, but being poorly set up for training is probably one of the symptoms of me not wanting to train quite a lot because you know if you're not set up if you're not fueled if you haven't eaten well it just contributes to all of those feelings of i i don't feel like doing this today mm. but i'm interested like for you guys with yourselves with your clients all that kind of stuff how often do you see that do you hear that like I'm, I, I i just don't feel like it well like you were saying I, if you find that you don't feel like it four out of seven days a week there's a good chance that most of the people are going to have something like that particularly if you're fairly new to it so it's not unusual. And I think that once you start to realize that it's not unusual to not feel motivated, it becomes a bit easier for you to actually progress past that because you're not just waiting for motivation. You know that you're going to have to eventually go in and just do the things that you don't want to do. And just on that, I think um, for anyone listening who does struggle with motivation, you've got three personal trainers who are talking here who are all talking about some days they don't feel like training and they still get into it. Some days they don't feel motivated or uh, whatever it may be, and they still find the time and uh, and uh, they, they work it into their schedule no matter what. Um, it'll probably make you feel a bit better as well that you're not alone, like you're not the only one feeling like this, like, there are, like everyone, everyone feels like this from time to time. Um, but going forward, that you make sure that you're going to be getting into the gym and sticking to your schedule, sticking to your plan, sticking to the promise that you, that you made yourself. Yeah, motivation, we talk about this a fair bit, but 
the minute you can throw motivation to the wayside, your life is immediately better off. Like just get rid of it altogether. You don't need it for pretty well anything that happens that we need to do consistently, right? We know as a society we've got to move more. We know that, you know, there's some chronic health problems associated with that. And I say you have to move more. You don't have to. You can sit on the couch and do nothing for the whole life. But you've got to pay for that somewhere. And so motivation just doesn't come into it. Like if you want to feel better, if you want to look better, if you want to move better, spend better quality of time with people, you know, have a, a more positive mindset, you've got to put some work in somewhere. And so, look, motivation might be what gets you started. That's cool. You know, for me it was, for you guys it probably was at some point too, made some sort of decision about yourself, right, it's time to, time to change this. But if you're relying on motivation to help you in, you know, more than probably two days in, you're going to be left very, very sorely disappointed. So we talk a lot about cultivating cultivating discipline. What are your strategies for cultivating discipline with yourself and with clients? The big one for me is um, making sure that I'm prepared because, and this is the same with all my clients, I know that I'm lazy and the fact that I know that I'm lazy means that if I know, hey, tomorrow I'm going to be training at a certain time, there's a good chance that I'm going to get there and I might not feel like doing it. But if I can prep myself the day before, it doesn't take much for me to get myself all sorted. I might get my meals ready. I might have my workout plan. I might have my, say, pre-workout. I might have all those things set so that I know that when I get to that time, it's not going to be more effort for me to train. It's going to be harder for me to kind of just pack up and leave. So I'm knowing that I'm going to be lazy and it might happen and being prepared makes it a lot easier than just trusting that by the time I'm going to be able to get through that, not feeling like doing it. Yeah. I think a good strategy I pair with that is it has to happen. So if you are prepared and then you realize there's no way out of training today, like it's happening, whether I do it now or I do it at frigging midnight tonight, it's happening. So I may as well do it like I'm prepared now. I don't want to do it at midnight tonight. So then it becomes not really, am I going to train or not? It's like, when am I going to train? And hang on a minute, I'm going to try and make my life a little bit easier. And then it's, it's almost like you kind of focus on a different problem and the other one tends to sink into the background a little bit more. I gotta, uh, sorry, what was the question again? What are, what are some of your favourite ways to cultivate discipline in yourself, your clients, people around you? I think trying to, yeah, going on with what David said, making sure that you are prepared. Your gym, your gym, bags, pre- gym bags is packed. Your food is there. Um, the intent is there. The program is there. Everything's there even if you aren't feeling like doing it, um, try to make it as important as I can. Um, try to make sure like, oh, I'm not going to succeed today if I don't get my training session done or the competition that I've made up in my head that's going to be coming up in a few months' time, I'm not going to be pre- prepared for making it as important as I can, making sure that yeah. I don't I don't fall to the side or I don't let any kind of excuse get the better of me. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I think one of my favourites is engineering your environment. So... Take the example, if you look look back the other way, right? You get to a moment, you're super hungry, you go to the cupboard, you check this, there's chips and there's chocolate in there. How easy is it to eat that? Like, it's so incredibly tempting. It's right there in front of you. It's probably going to get eaten. Yeah. Moment of weakness, it's right there. But you may have that same moment of weakness, and if it's not there, it's at the shop up the road, how much less likely are you then to be like, yeah, yeah you, I'll go for a, a jog up to the shop or I'll get in my car and drive all the way there and get out and purchase it all and then jump back in and then come just to satisfy that craving. When you engineer your environment, you know, don't bring that, that stuff into your house, I think is a really good way to make it nice and simple. So what you guys said, getting prepared, making sure you have your stuff ready to go, 
not leaving it to the morning, you know, if you know you're going to be rushed in the morning, prepare the night before. Is it going to be hard to prepare the night before? Is it going to take something? Absolutely. But that's what cultivating discipline is all about. One of my favorite ones that we've had a fair few people trying recently at the gym is cold showers. And Mitch, I know that you do that a little bit as well. Um, for me, the methodology that I use, I get warm in the shower first. So it's not just like straight out of bed and like a psychopath just straight into an icy cold shower. Oh, I think I'm a psychopath then because I'll just wade right into a cold shower first thing in the morning. Yeah, you're yeah. a maniac. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's All toes, right. shins, knees, legs, and body. This is a 4.30 in the morning. Keep that in mind. Oh, 4 a.m. This boy is insane. <laughs> you got some problems. Um, <laughs> all right, but okay, to each their own for me, uh, I'm not at that level yet, but, uh, I'll go 10 seconds of, of extreme cold. So we'll pretty much right the way around to the other side of the mixer. Um, and every morning I don't want to do that, but it's the first thing that I do, right? And you hear a lot of people talking about how in the army, in the military, first thing you do for the day is make your bed because yeah, it gets you into a pattern of success, gets you in a pattern of getting stuff done. For me, my wife's still in bed, so <laughs> really dug you know, yeah, making it—it's an easy excuse, obviously, not to not to mess with it too much. She's still sleeping, but for me, that's the cold shower, right? I jump in, get myself warm, turn the mixer to cold, stand in there, breathe your way through it. it. It definitely shocks you a lot. Go for at least ten to fifteen seconds. Most of the time, I'm building up to going longer and longer and longer now, but it's always something I don't want to do, right? I never wait, really wake up. Um, some days I don't mind it, but I've never woken up yet and be like, oh, I can't wait for a cold shower this morning. Like, I'm really looking forward to that. And that's why I keep doing it, because I know if I can do that, everything else for the day, I'm, I'm starting that pattern of, oh, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, so when it comes to work, obviously, I set my own schedule with my work, which sometimes is a blessing, sometimes an absolute curse, because I work the hours I need to or want to. And wanting to, obviously, is sometimes just doesn't happen. So the things still need to get done. And so it, it sets me in that pattern of discipline. And that's why I like the cold shower technique. It's nice and simple. It's nice and easy. Everyone can do it if, if you've got a shower. I mean. Are you standing all, all around in the shower when you turn it to cold? Yeah. Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. I have so. to say, that's probably more ballsy than what I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll give it a go, mate. I'll, I'll try your method. You try mine. And all right. Well you, when you go to do your next cold shower, first thing in the morning, jump on in, let your feet run under there for 10 15 seconds, then you slowly wade in like you're wading into a pool. Just wade in the whole thing and go shower. sideways. Yes. It is your shower, you're not a pool, but yeah, like wade in sideways. And I've got a good method now, a good, um, you know, discipline and a, yeah. and a routine with that now. One of the things we did, right, so the cold shower is interesting because we did like a habit-based challenge not too long ago at the gym. And one thing that a lot of people, you know, stopped them from even starting the challenge was the idea of a cold shower, this automatic thought that, oh, I can't do that, you know, like, oh, that's a bit rough or I just don't want to do it at all. That's the kind of feeling, in my opinion, you need to chase after. Oh, I don't want to do that. That should be your first clue. Hang on a minute. Pretty sure I'm about to have to do this. What I think the mean? interesting thing was that is that was the the thing that we heard the most is they don't want to do it because it's for cold showers. But keep in mind, it was like 45 minutes of training. It was than just this cold shower. But it's 10 seconds of cold shower that was enough to scare off these people. And I think, like Wagner said, it's a really good sign that you should probably give it a shot and probably do it. Yeah. Have you guys had moments like that in your life? I'm always one to chase those moments. So I've got a few that are, that come to mind, but somewhere where you sort of knew this terrifies me and I know now that I have to do it. Oh, 100%. I remember when I first started working here, um, I was pretty sure I was pretty awkward and Mr. Wagner over here, the uh, joy that he is, was like, hey, here's 50 people in a group class. Go yell at them. <laughs> and that was like, 
<laughs> I was pretty damn scary, but now I have no issue getting in front of, you know, countless people and yelling and screaming and doing all the kind of cool stuff that we can do here. But to start with, God, God, it was some scary stuff. Yeah. What about you, Mitch? Um, I have to agree wholeheartedly. First time when I started the bar, I was there on a Tuesday morning and I met uh, one of the old trainers. And when I saw how big the classes got, the intensity that it was and mm. what was required of the trainer, how uh, how vocal they had to be, how energetic they have to be, I was really feeling like I was way out of my comfort zone. I was really feeling out of my depth because I'd had to drive from Warwick. Mind you, I had to get up at 3 a.m. to drive yeah. to Toowoomba from Warwick. And I was feeling a bit run down already. Mm. Um, and then to continue that, I've made this leap now. I've already said yes to the job. Um, what I chased down most was I've done this before. Like, this is no, this is nothing new to me. I've done all this before. Why is it feeling so overwhelming now? But what I chased down most was pretty much being awkward, dancing with the music, trying to do what the other trainer was doing, mm. and the awkwardness and the, and the you know feeling uncomfortable was gone yeah. within a week. Yeah, I like that. There's a couple of big moments in my life that stand out to me. One was my fear of heights. So terrified of heights. Have you ever been to Wet n' Wild before? I have. Do you know Mammoth Falls? We went together one time. We did, yeah, I remember. <laughs> uh, you're a very brave man, actually, because you're the only person I've ever seen confidently walk into the toilets at Wet n' Wild barefoot. Oh, and, I thought this was going somewhere thing. good. <laughs> it, takes, it takes a confident man to, be, to pretend... That all the water on the floor <laughs> in the men's toilet is water. It's man's true metal. <laughs> and, and not a a mixture of many, many things. Not a pH level today. You're a brave, brave soul. But yes, brave though? Oh, I don't know. Brave, I silly. Laziness to go all the way back to the lockers, yeah. grab my thongs out. True. But anyway, Mammoth Falls there, right? Do you know what I'm talking about, Lock? It's like, it's like the biggest water slide there. It's not yeah, very yeah. big, but when I was like 11 years old, I think I was. We went to Wet n' Wild, and I remember crying my way up those stairs, like, because it felt rickety. Went up there the other day. Thankfully, I was absolutely fine, but um, that probably would have been embarrassing at, at 26 to be crying on Mitch's shoulder. But um, <laughs> went up Mammoth Falls. But anyway, I've always had a bit of a fear of heights, right? And since I've been old enough to travel, I have always, whenever we go somewhere, made myself jump off whatever the highest thing there is. So... Despite having a fear of heights, I've jumped off the 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 tower in Vegas, the stratosphere. Um, you were attached to something, though, weren't you? No, no, yeah, just, yes. Just, just putting that out there. Um, sure. I was, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I should should say so. Yeah. You are attached to a cable, yeah, on that <laughs> one. So, but but you have to jump yourself off. Like it's not just like a, a ride down. You have got to be the one to jump. I've jumped off the canyon swing in New Zealand three times. Um, Probably the scariest one. I don't know if it's scary or easier, but we did. Katie and I did a tandem backwards jump, Ooh. so off the platform. And um, but again, getting yourself to jump off there, and that actually became one of the things we did on the retreat in New Zealand as well. And uh, I've jumped off. You know, I've been bungee jumping in New Zealand. We've done you know swings. We've done hot air balloons. We've done you know gliders. I've done skydiving. I've jumped off of absolutely everything, and every single time. Before I do it, I still shit myself. Mm. I'm still, figuratively, obviously, but I still am very worried of the outcome. Like, I get really scared. I have that reaction. I don't want to do it. One of the symptoms that I sort of get when I don't want to do something like that is I get really tired. Mm. Like, so I'll start yawning before I jump. But I know that's what we're sort of saying about. We're chasing that feeling. I know if I don't do that, it's always going to be one thing that holds me back. Imagine the guy who's going to, you know, be the instructor. He's like, this guy's bored. 
This is what it kind of looks like. Everyone, everyone's like, "You all right, mate? Like, what's going on with this bloke?" So, but yeah, it's kind of strange like that. But I know for me, I've got to do those things. Otherwise, it's just, you know, it's always going to be something that that limits me. All right. Well, speaking about uh, fears, so height. Speaking, uh, fear of heights is a very rational fear. Everyone, a lot of people, more than most, would have that fear. Yep. I have a gigantic fear of the ocean, swimming in the beach. Really. I can't go any deeper than my knees or halfway up my thighs. I really get quite scared and uncomfortable. You've never seen man. That's Mitch. That's a quite a long way up. He's a very, <laughs> a very tall man. So I've got a little brother who's in the Navy and they go out for ocean swims daily. I'm talking, you know, hundred plus feet deep. There's no way you can see the bottom. No way you can see what's coming up after you. That's my biggest fear for me going forward. How do I do that? Do I just row out to the middle of the ocean? Do I just jump on in, you reckon? <laughs> um, yeah, I would say go on your own. Don't tell anyone where you're going. Nighttime, like, murky, yeah. murky water. Don't yeah. swim between the flags, all that kind no, of stuff. of course, stuff. yeah. Chuck a bit of blood in the water for safety. Yeah, a bit of chum. <laughs> yeah. It's um, a great question. I mean, look, you know, all those times I face my fears, I know I'm not putting myself in danger. Yeah. Like something like an ocean swim obviously has its risks to it. Yes. I mean, skydiving has its risks too. My younger brother almost died when we went skydiving, so... Yeah. To his first shoot failed and the second one tangled. So, oh, Jesus. Um, so I didn't. You know, I was having a hell of a time. They were trying to kick out of their tangled shoot, and like oh, and they kicked out and and got the shoot working like right before the terminal velocity point, or basically the point of no return, yeah. where they would have been injured at some height, and then much more than that, they would have been like instant death, basically. Yeah, so, but for me, I didn't know what was happening down there. So I was just. Enjoying my skydive, to be honest. Yeah, you didn't so, sell it very well. No, no, no. It's actually, yeah, we probably shouldn't have said that with the whole <laughs> facing your fears thing. But Use that code, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, you know, I'm not an ocean swimming trainer. I'm not, you know, please don't take this as personalised advice, but I think having a background of relatedness, you've been swimming before, right? Absolutely. And, and you can swim. Yes. Okay. Jumping right in and going straight to the middle of the ocean and going for a swim... Probably not a great idea, but taking whatever logical steps to get a little bit better and a little bit better at that each time, hey, a little bit different. For me, it depends on what the activity is. Like another big fear moment for me was doing stand-up comedy for the first time. Did it, got on stage, knew I'd be fine. There's no danger in stand-up comedy, but there's a lot of fear. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of the fear of rejection rather than the fear of drowning or the fear of you know, crashing to your death from heights. So something like that, I was just like, right, so I signed up for a competition. I told people I was doing it, which I didn't want to do, because, but I knew I would do that. I'd make myself do it then because they'd all know. And if I didn't do it, they'd all know I didn't do it as well. So it was kind of like the fear, I almost replaced that fear with like a fear of judgment from other people for not doing it versus a fear of jumping in and giving it a crack. So I think, yeah, just finding a way to step through that process is probably a pretty good approach. Yeah, I, I like it. Nice. Look, guys, that is, uh, that's it for us this week on the Bar None podcast. I hope you guys have enjoyed. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Make sure you leave us some comments or a review below. But uh, I've had a fantastic week hanging out with these lovely individuals. Make sure you can always get involved with the show as well. Let us know what you want to hear about a little bit more of. Uh, ask us any questions for the start of our podcast as well, and, and uh, we'll go from there. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for that, guys. Thanks for having us.